Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. How do we stand in the Christian life and not succumb to Satan's wiles? How do we keep from falling and failing? The only way is to put on the spiritual armour which God has provided. And verses 14 to 17 here describe that armour in detail. Now firstly, Paul refers to the soldier's belt around his loins or midriff. The loins are the seat of a man's strength. The soldier uses his belt to tie in his tunic, giving him total freedom of movement. To the belt was attached his breastplate and his sword. So the belt was basic and fundamental. Without the belt, there would be no breastplate or sword. The Christian, says Paul, must securely gird or tie round his loins using truth. Now by truth is meant our personal truthfulness, our complete sincerity of heart, the absence of all pretense. When our Lord Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, he said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. And so we have to put on this belt of truth. And this means inward truth, an absolute sincerity of heart. Professing Christians whose faith is merely an outward practice but not from the heart will soon fall in the spiritual warfare against Satan and his demons. And such will not stand when the world begins to persecute. And we see this in our own day. As the world closes in and uh, promotes certain forms of immorality, many in the churches are falling away. Because they've not got on this belt of truth. They do not love the whole counsel of God from the heart. We read in Psalm 51 and verse 6, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Thou desirest truth in the inward parts. 
And in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. And so Christianity is the religion of the heart. So much religious activity in the world consists of external acts, performing certain ceremonies, adhering to certain kinds of diet, observing special times during the year, fasting, going on a pilgrimage. But the Christian faith supremely looks at the heart not at the performance of outward religious acts. Our Lord said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, (coughs) and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And so, a Christian is one who has been changed from within who loves God in truth from the heart and so there can be no pretense in the Christian life there were many Israelites in our Lord's day who were not true Israelites But, thankfully, some were so from the heart. Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom is no guile. And so we have to wear this belt of truth. We have to have truth in the inward parts. And that means we must love God In an absolute sincerity of heart. And then uh, Paul goes on in verse 14 here. We must have on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate on a soldier of old would cover him from his neck to his thighs. And so it's a very important piece of armour. Protecting vital organs such as heart and lungs. Now, we as Christians have to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, And the meaning of righteousness here is quite simply personal holiness. It is righteous conduct. What is the point of someone saying that they are a Christian if they carry on living in sin? What is the point of someone saying that they are born again, but if something goes wrong, then they behave just like someone in the world? Immediately getting angry. We have to wear the breastplate of righteousness. We have to wear this breastplate which refers to personal holiness this will protect us in our Christian lives 
We read in Hebrews 12 and verse 14, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. No holiness, no heaven. Now, we're not being taught there that we earn our way to heaven through our holiness. We are too sinful for that. We can only be saved by God's grace. But what we are being taught is that the Christian, the professing Christian, who is not endeavouring to lead a holy life and to renounce all sin, is in fact no true Christian at all. The person who thinks that God's love permits him to indulge in some sin is revealing that he is still unregenerate and outside of the kingdom of God. Romans 6 verse 1 What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Then Romans 6 verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Yet there are many today, even within the churches, who are arguing that to give way to sinful lusts is a basic human right and an issue of equality. But the true Christian has received the indwelling of the Spirit, which he did not formerly possess. This gives to him the desire and the ability to be holy. But the professing Christian who fails to manifest holiness is in reality no different to the unconverted man who lives according to the flesh, his fallen nature. Without the breastplate of righteousness, without this personal holiness, we will inevitably fall in the battle. And so we must put on the breastplate of righteousness, of personal holiness and obedience. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 Paul says let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness not muddling through. And we must not use excuses like I'm just a humble sinner. And God understands that I am just a humble sinner. We must never use that as an excuse for ongoing sin. Because the new birth has given to us the potential to overcome the works of the flesh. Quite simply, we need not sin. If we do sin... It is our fault. 
So we must put on the breastplate of righteousness. So in verse 14, Paul has dealt with the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. So he has focused upon the top part of the body and the middle part. And now in verse 15, he speaks of the feet. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now the ancient soldier needed to move quickly over all types of terrain. And so strong footwear was indispensable. And this footwear had to be carefully prepared. Nails were fastened into the soles to provide a better foothold. So the word preparation refers to the foundation on which the soldiers would be standing. You see they had to prepare their boots. They had to put these nails in them so that they would grip the ground better. And so the soldier needed uh, these firm and reinforced soles to their boots. They would be hindered if they only had some uh, light footwear through which every stone could be felt. So they had to prepare what they wore on their feet. Now, the Christian must have properly prepared soles, S-O-L-E-S. The firm foundation of his personal belief in the gospel. We prepare ourselves by having this firm foundation of our personal belief in the gospel. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We must know in our own heart that we have peace with God through faith in Christ and that the gospel is the only answer to all man's problems. So the Christian needs the prepared boots, the foundation of knowing what the true gospel is, of knowing his personal salvation. And of understanding the gospel as the only solution for mankind's predicament as a whole. So our feet must be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so we must be prepared with this foundation which is the gospel itself. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 11 For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ. And so our faith is based upon the ministry of Christ and his death and resurrection and ascension. That that is 
what it is all centred upon. It's not centred upon human rights. It's not centred upon equality. It's not centred upon the things that this world likes to focus upon, such as abolishing poverty. But other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. (coughs) Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. We are those who are not ashamed of the gospel. There have been occasions when some of us has been to uh, Christian witnesses outside Parliament about a certain moral issue. And you know, we've actually been asked not to display scripture texts by other Christians. Don't display the scripture texts. They will think we are fundamentalists. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We have to have this conviction that the gospel is man's only hope. The only answer to men's problems. Colossians 1 verse 5. The hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth, of the gospel so this is what motivates us this great heavenly hope which we have it is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and so we need to realise That the gospel is central to everything. We must not be ashamed of it. We must not be ashamed of quoting God's word. Of making our stand upon God's word. And upon this gospel. So Paul says here in verse 15. Have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Peace means well-being, felicity. Man's well-being lies in the gospel and nowhere else. It does not lie in the welfare state and the National Health Service. It lies in the gospel. Then in verse 16... Paul speaks of another piece of armour. He's dealt with the belt, the breastplate, the footwear. And now he speaks of something which can protect the whole body if it's used in an appropriate manner. Verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith. Wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. 
Now, Paul is not saying that the shield of faith is more important than the other pieces of armour when he says above all. Because we cannot dispense with any one of these pieces of armour. The phrase above all means literally in all things. Paul is saying that there is no occasion when the shield of faith will not have to be employed. And so in in every circumstance, he is saying, you must use the shield of faith. The shield which Paul is speaking of here, uh, in this metaphorical language, uh, he will have in his mind the type of shield used by Roman soldiers. And this would be a large shield, uh, around four feet high and two and a half feet wide. Now this shield afforded an all-round protection to the advancing soldier, as the enemy fired burning arrows at him. So we're talking about a large shield. Uh, like some of the riot shields that the police use uh, nowadays. Now, Satan, who rules (coughs) the kingdom of this world, has many deadly arrows to shoot at the believer in Christ. Uh, There are the arrows of persecution, attacking our freedoms and material well-being. There are the arrows of ostracisation, playing on our fear of being different. And, and, and this is particularly a lethal weapon used against younger people, who especially, and understandably in a certain sense, have a fear of being different from their peers. And Satan can use that. To undermine God's truth. There are the arrows of enticement to sin. Playing upon the weakness of our flesh. There are the arrows of cleverly packaged false doctrine. Deceiving the unwary. Who do not know the scriptures. Oh let's not worry about doctrine. But let all the churches come together. Because the Lord Jesus wants his people to be united. And many have fallen for that. There are the arrows of suffering. Tempting us when suffering comes to complain that God has mistreated us. Now these are all the fiery darts of the wicked one, Satan, of which Paul speaks in verse 16. And these fiery darts, if they pierce us, can destroy us. They can only be fended off by faith. Above all, taking the shield of faith 
wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. This means that we need an unwavering belief that the word of God is true. That those who shall be saved must endure to the end. That through many tribulations we must enter into the kingdom of God. That God's promises and warnings will most surely come to pass. And so as all these arrows come hurtling towards us, we must take the shield of faith. As they mock us because we believe that God created the world in six days. And as they threaten any remaining teachers in the school system who happen to believe that, with throwing them out of their jobs, we must take the shield of faith and repel the fiery darts of the wicked. We must keep on believing God's word and applying it in every situation in which we find ourselves. Because the world is trying to destroy our faith and to mould us into its own image. And so these fiery darts will be coming at us in every direction trying to make us abandon our faith or abandon aspects of our faith. So we must take the shield of faith. 1 John 5 verse 4 This is the victory that have overcome the world, even our faith. And so when these fiery darts come in We must have faith. I will not abandon the truth of God's word. I will believe God's promises. And we have, of course, in Hebrews 11, uh, a description of great men of faith. For example, uh, we read in Hebrews 11 and verse 32... The time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire. Out of weakness they were made strong. They turned to flight armies of the aliens. Others were tortured not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. Think of those who have perhaps been in prison for years because of their faith in Christ. And we can imagine the temptations... For them to think, oh, God has abandoned me. He's not looking after me. He has allowed my enemies to triumph. How the shield of faith is needed in such circumstances as those. 
above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And then verse 17, Paul says, Take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. Uh, Similarly, in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 8, Paul says, Put on for a helmet the hope of salvation. And so, we need this helmet. Absolutely necessary. It would be utterly foolish to get on a motorbike without a helmet. And it would be reckless for the soldier to go into battle without a helmet. The believer in Christ knows that he already possesses salvation. That he is progressing towards the ultimate fulfilment of this salvation. The time when he shall enter into the very presence of God. The sure hope of heaven defends the Christian from the temptation to fall away. The sure hope of heaven stimulates his perseverance in faith and obedience. Take the helmet of salvation. So Paul says in Philippians 3 and 14, thinking about his own salvation, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is motivated and protected in his Christian life by this heavenly hope. Take the helmet of salvation. In 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 24 and following, Paul describes the athlete. They which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to receive a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, as not uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body, and bring it into subjection, lest by any means I myself should be a castaway. So Paul explains there that he protected himself in his warfare by a constant personal vigilance, never losing sight of his heavenly goal. His hope of final glory made him never let down his guard. And so he was like the athlete who kept his eye on the finishing line. He constantly focused upon his heavenly goal. He was vigilant that he would reach that goal. And this is to take the helmet of salvation. Yes, I am saved. But I must also endure to the end. 
that I might be finally saved. And so this side of glory, we can never sit back and rest. We must take the helmet of salvation. We must keep our eyes fixed upon that prospect of eternal glory. Then, Paul goes on in this verse 17, we must take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Well, here now Paul refers to a weapon, which of course is an aspect of defence, but it's also a means of attack. How do we defend ourselves against this godless, rebellious world? Which would be quite happy were true Christianity driven into total extinction. Well, we must come out fighting. We must take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. How tragic it is to see the churches cowering in fear before what we call the LGBT lobby. The churches are scared stiff of them. But we should be taking the sword of the Spirit. We should not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It is this Word which the Holy Spirit uses to convince men of the truth and to change their hearts. Therefore, that is why we display the Word of God. We display it on our church wall. We display it when we preach in the high street. We display it when we protest outside Parliament. We are not ashamed of the Word of God. It is the sword of the Spirit. When I went to a rally outside Parliament last year, marking the 800th anniversary of Magna Carta, uh, and the theme of the rally was defending Christian liberties, one of the speakers of that rally actually said, do not use the Bible when you're presenting your arguments. It puts people off. Do not use the Bible. But we are told here, we must take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the God. And although they did a good work, we do not completely condemn them, we were thankful for them, but the Coalition for Marriage, which campaigned against the redefinition of that institution, you go to their website, that organisation which got over uh, 600,000 people signing a petition, you will not find any reference whatsoever to the Word of God. Go to c4m.org 
And it's a, a Christian grouping mainly. But there is no reference to the word of God. Take the sword of the spirit. Which is the word of God. We do not need insights from contemporary philosophy. What light can fallen men give to us? Their minds are blinded by Satan. We need no light apart from the word of God. We challenge the world by what the Bible says. We do what our Lord himself did when tempted by Satan in the wilderness. He said, it is written. And on what was written, our Lord stood. So we must take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This sword refers to the whole body of God's revealed truth. This is the sword which we must unashamedly wield. As the psalmist said, the law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. The word of God is the weapon which alone can pierce through and bring down the strongholds of unbelief. As you travel around the country and see the many churches, how many churches actually have the Word of God displayed outside? They might have an attention catching slogan, but how many actually have the Word of God displayed? It is only God's word which can pierce through and bring down the strongholds of unbelief. So if we are to survive in this warfare we are in, we need these six pieces of armour. We need the belt of truth, which is our personal truthfulness and sincerity of heart. We need the breastplate of righteousness, which is the need for personal holiness in our daily lives. We need the preparation of the gospel of peace. Firmly prepared footwear. This is our personal knowledge of the gospel itself. We need the shield of faith. Which is our constantly believing all that God has promised and warned about. We need the helmet of salvation, which is our own personal hope of final salvation and glory. We must never forget our heavenly goal. And we need the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The objective body of truth that God has revealed to men in his written word. If we do not have all of these pieces of armour, we shall not stand in the Christian life. 
These pieces of armour are useless unless we put them on and use them. Therefore may God help each one of us to put on the whole armour of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Amen. sing together hymn 140 hymn 140 soldiers of Christ arise mm-hmm.